The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Just a quick warning. You're going to hear a lot of those words on the show, so you might want to get the kids out of the room. No kids in the room during this, please. Well, you silly geese, another episode of UFC Unfiltered with me and Matt Serra. This is Jim Norton. We have a great episode. We had uh, Eddie Alvarez and Ioana uh, Yunjicic called in, and uh, both were great. And I didn't fuck her name up, which was miraculous. I just did kind of, but it's because I'm so amped for having gotten it right. Ioana Yunjicic, I said it right. Now watch me fuck up. Say it again. Eddie Alvarez. I can't get his name. UFC and Digital Media present UFC Unfiltered with Jim Norton and Matt Serra, powered by Digital Media. Find your voice. And now, your hosts, Jim Norton and Matt Serra. Nice to be back in New York. <laughs> it was really weird. There was a weird couple of days in Vegas uh, broadcasting. I enjoyed it, Matt, and we had a good time. We had a really, we bonded, I feel. I, yeah, really fun, man. We really did. We we, we hung out together, went to fights together, we worked out together. We ate together. We ate together. I, mean, I had a good time. But it's weird to broadcast in another studio. We got used to this, and then having to go into these other circumstances, and then the live one, which was a bit of a clusterfuck, just because it was our first out-of-the-studio event. Well, I mean, that, that was, I mean, not only that, I mean, you know, Bruce was, Bruce Buffer was supposed to be on, and he hurt his leg, yeah. and then uh, that big debacle with John Jones. Yeah, <laughs> I just made the the poor producer had to leave the room because I need a fucking stirrer for coffee. We should lock the doors. That's what those. you do. Good, fuck them. <laughs> lock them out. Get out. Get out of here, Chris. But uh, that's yeah. called throwing your weight around. By the way, where's yeah. the producer? He's getting me a napkin. <laughs> He's getting me a fucking napkin. But uh, no, I had a, I had a I had a really good time, man. I had a really good time. Did you? Yeah. Here's just something I learned about Matt. Matt Sarah is such a nice person. Oh, look at that. We're on the plane coming home. Um, oh, yeah, okay, and, good, yeah. and we're sitting there and there's a, a guy and his kid behind me and in the row behind me that Matt is in on the other side of the plane there's uh, a young blonde gentleman sitting in, and I say gentleman um, he's a little sissy well I had to look twice <laughs> to make sure he's a, I wasn't sure to you be know, honest yeah he's very feminine and he was talking to the uh, the dad next to he, and he said something to the people behind me he goes uh, well you know I like my own I was supposed to be I don't like the window. I like the aisle. Yeah, but he said it in a very, very. But the, 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 very before you even were sitting. Oh, he, he said, said that. Yes. Then? Oh, he said. He said it, I so I knew there was some weird issue. I guess that the, the father and the son had taken his seat so they could sit together. The kid was, you know, ten. So Matt comes in and sits in the uh, uh, my seat, my which seat was, was the, the aisle. aisle seat, and um, and the other person 
who looked like uh, I don't know who he looked like. He looked like one of the fucking what were the vampires in that uh, the Lost Boys? He looked like a Lost Boys vampire. <laughs> he did. He's like Corey. Yeah, 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 like a Corey Hain. A creepy, yeah. sickly. Like, would it be gay if I fucked this guy vampire? Kind of cute. Yeah, he was. Just, yeah. So Matt Matt is sitting there, and the kid walks by Matt to get out. And this is the red eye. And this is the red tired, eye, man. Yes. And I like the aisle because, much like you, I got, we both have uh, like little like little girl bladders. Yeah, we have to, or little old lady bladders. Little where bird we bladders, <laughs> bird bladders, yeah. where we always have to take a piss. So I like the aisle seat because I don't want to have to climb over anybody or freaking wake anybody up. Or, but that you know that became a that that was a problem because. Go ahead. Well, the guy gets out and crosses over uh, Matt, and he goes, "I was supposed to be sitting in the aisle." And he, Matt said it, is, he said it like a like a real like little diva, like a little well, not diva. How was it? Like very like feminine, a little bitch. Like, He's an asshole. I I I that's no. He said this this is not my the seat I'm supposed to have. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, so I looked at, so I didn't know what he meant. I, I didn't know what was going on. So I looked at my uh, my ticket, and I'm like, four C. I go, this is my seat. What is? So then the um the, the fucking that's not a stewardess. You don't call them stewardesses. The uh, flight attendant, the flight attendant, yeah. the fuck stewardess. Uh, she came over. She was very nice, you know. And she asked me if uh, I minded the window seat because the guy was going to take the uh, father away from the son. He was going to separate the kid from his father because he wanted the aisle seat. Yeah, Matt. This is why Matt's a nice guy <laughs> because when that guy went to the bathroom. And Matt was sitting there. I'm like, I'm trying to stir shit up. I'm like, man, the guy was complaining. Because I'm hoping when he comes back, Matt chokes him to death. No. <laughs> I was literally hoping, as much as I like you, I was hoping you'd grab yeah. him by his neck and then forcefully like lift his neck up. And like Michael Myers did that in one of the Halloweens where he broke somebody's <laughs> neck on the ceiling. I wanted you to grab his fucking yeah. awful chicken neck and, and just fucking... I wanted you to kill him the way they smothered that chicken in mesh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a baby! So uh, Matt is the fucking nicest guy. The guy's like, it's not supposed to be my seat. And Matt's like, mm. okay, buddy, I'll move over here. And Matt just sits there in the, in the, in the window like mm. a night. And I'm watching this going, Matt, Sarah, is just a really nice person. Yeah, well, you know what it is? I have kids too, and I've seen... Where they gotta separate, like the for whatever reason, like the kid can't sit next to the the parent, and that would be horrible, man. Sure. I don't know who I, I I never. That's why I always tell my like my wife like, is this this I seen I seen like uh, on planes when they have to. I don't know the reasoning. I, I think it's because in case uh, something happens, they have to have either two, uh, if it's a, if it's a if the kid's too young, like have to sit, like it has to be where. It can't be one parent with like two kids, something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. with I seen the where they make a stink about it, and the pilot would come out and walk up to the, the to the parents and go, "Your child would die, will die if you don't, you know, she he could, he could die, or he could, your baby could die if you don't do this." So I was so very blunt and it's very disturbing. So whatever. Anyway, I don't know what the hell that has to do with anything. But anyway, I don't like the. I'm a parent, so I don't want the the, the, the Brazilian guy and his kid. Yeah, and I'm like, nah, I don't, you know, I, it was either me moving or else that guy would have to get separated because this guy was being a little bitch. But Matt was so nice about it. Just, and I, I'm watching this and just going, what a nice guy he is. Thanks, buddy. And Matt's a true tough guy, by the way. That, <laughs> that's how a true tough guy acts. Like me, I'm, I'm a little a, a fucking, I'm a Weasley man. I have fucking <laughs> Sandy Duncan wrists. <laughs> Sandy I, I'm, I'm hurting Duncan. nobody. 
So the fact that Matt is just a bull of a man and, and just a mm. nice, pleasant person with nothing to prove. And the guy thanks Matt. Uh, and Matt, he, he just couldn't have been nicer about it. You were much nicer oh. than I would have been in that situation. I'm nicer than you thought I, I was. I always knew you were nice, Thanks. but that was an annoying situation where yeah. you could have been. And then Matt goes but to the guy, because Matt's traveled. Matt goes to the guy, hey, what's the accent? Where are you from? Like, just trying to bond because yeah. you've been in Brazil. And the uh, guy's probably like, oh, uh, he didn't want nothing to do with me. Either. No, he's probably like, why is he asking <laughs> yeah, this? It's he crazy. was just like, you know, he thanked me, the father. And then he kind of, I think he pretended like he didn't speak English. Just, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all right, just trying to make a friend. <laughs> I'm trying to, I was too jovial. I don't know why I was so happy. Well, you didn't sleep any better than I did. That's I, the thing. He's also wide awake on the plane. No, that's... And you know what? I didn't take my little nap during the... I was like... I had some time to kill. Like, you know what? Let me stay awake. That way I could uh, I could fall asleep on that plane. But no, nah, that didn't work, man. That's, that little sissy ruined it for me. Yeah, but he's... I, I, here's the thing with the plane. We were lucky <laughs> enough to fly first class. And I don't say that with arrogance. Although I do actually carry a little... I'll, I'll confess. I carry a little curtain with me that I hold on a stick... So I put it on my right when the animals are walking through the coach. I hold up a curtain so they can't look at me. And I'll part it once in a while. I'll go, boo, fucking beat it. And I let the curtain close. But uh, th these were these old school seats. These were these old, old seats. Like, you know, the even, se and even seats in coach have it. Where, where they have like the little wing tips that you can go like... Or may tilt out and you yeah. can just rest your head. It's uncomfortable. It's a quarter inch piece of cardboard. But at least you can put your head on it. These didn't have that. It, so, so it's just like a big wide seat back. So your head's like an infant head just kind of lolling all over this big dumb seat. It was really uncomfortable. You know what I hated, which I know I'm acting like we're acting all spoiled now, but I hate when they don't have, I like to have like a remote control. Like when you're like, basically you flick through the channels and get a movie or whatever. I don't like when there's, there's one movie that you have to watch. They had the Jungle Book on, which yeah, I took my kids to see that. That's great, but... Really? Fly coming back to Vegas? You're playing the Jungle Book? And I know we all have to see... I mean, there's no choices. I, I don't want to... Listen, I don't want to complain, but that sucks, man. It was an older plane, so they don't have the, 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 the JetBlue like, things in the, in the seats. Well, before we had said... Before we had uh, done, gotten on the plane, Matt was saying to me, I hate when it's one fucking monitor and? hanging. And, and this is me, you know, fucking me, Mrs. Codependent Wife that I am. I'm like, oh, there's going to be a bunch of them to watch what you like. <laughs> Because I, I didn't think any more play. This is the one where you walk out of the bathroom, it's just hanging. Um, and uh, I have to plug something before we go. I, I'm, I'm doing a bunch of gigs. Oh. I'm prostituting. I keep forgetting to plug my gigs. Yeah. So next week, uh, the 21st, I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio, in a theater there. Go to jimnorton.com to get tickets. And I have dates in Minneapolis and Pittsburgh and uh, Toronto. So if you want to see me live do my stand-up shit, come watch. And uh, I'm gearing up to shoot something. Now, we have to go to the phones. Get out of here. I have been... Yammering about wanting our our next guest on the phone, and I was asking for him before he was a lightweight champion. In fairness, I'm not jumping on the lightweight uh, championship bandwagon shit. I've been saying I wanted him long before that. So uh, let's say hello to Eddie Alvarez. Eddie, how are you, man? You're on with Jim and Matt. What's up, Eddie? Awesome. What's up, Matt? What's up, champ? What's up, Jim? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> Congratulations, man. How you are you? I hope you. I mean, obviously, you're feeling good. Yeah, yeah, I'm um, I'm good. I got I'm gonna get my foot checked though. My foot's a little dinged up, but uh, other than that, I think uh, I'm feeling pretty pretty damn good, man. Had a good weekend. What did you do right after you won? I always ask somebody. I mean, it's, it's, it, what, what was the first thing you did after you left? Um, well, they they put me to the ringer. I had to do like a photo shoot, and then like all this other media. I didn't really get to do anything for like uh, about an hour or two. And then uh, first thing I went to MGM Green. 
and I uh, went up to the hotel room with my wife and uh, my brother was up there and uh, a couple friends and we just kind of celebrated <laughs> celebrated the MGM. Now, Eddie, my man, now the, the way that first round went, which was <laughs> phenomenal, the fight, listen, what a freaking amazing fight. I, I, we just said it, but I'm going to say it yeah. again. It was so it was so exciting, man. I was out of my seat. I picked you to win, uh, but you know, I thought it was no, going to be- didn't. Yeah, you listen. picked me to win? I did. Listen, go back and listen to the episode. I'm not bullshitting. And actually, when I got to Vegas, I was on the shuttle uh, going to the baggage claim with a bunch of guys that were in high school with you. And I saw the shirt and I told them, I go, yeah, I'm picking Eddie. And they go, yeah, you're just saying that because you're in front of us. I go, no, motherfucker. Why the fuck? What am I trying to impress you guys? But then I saw a bunch <laughs> of your friends. But uh, I did pick you to win. I'm not going to point out that Jimmy didn't. I'm not going to say that. No, but, but, I'll, uh, <laughs> but, I, but first of all, Eddie, I'm, I'm all, here's why you won. Because I didn't pick you. I stink <laughs> at picking. But I, I, the only reason I thought that, you, that he was going to win is because he's so good with his legs. And, the, and, and, and Cerrone seemed to give you a hard time with his legs. That was the only reason I could think of that you would have a hard time with uh, with uh, Dos Anjos. I, I agree. We addressed that, though. I mean, um, it was something that we were aware of uh, in the Cerrone fight and something for sure that we knew they were going to try to attack or exploit. So, um, I, look, I, I'm not super – I'm not a super brain. Uh, Mark Henry is. And uh, one thing that you got to know going into every fight with that guy that there won't be one stone unturned. This guy is like a stickler for detail. So um, I just feel safe with him on my side, knowing that. Oh, a hundred percent. He's paranoid. He's paranoid enough for the both of us. So yeah, Mark Hun- Mark Henry. Yeah. You know, you hear about all these uh, these teams and the coaches and stuff, but Mark Henry, from his work with Frank Yeager, his work with you, his work with Barboza. I mean, he is just a phenomenal coach. Not to mention a great, great man. I I, I love Mark, man. I always love seeing yeah. him. And of course, Ricardo Almeida is like my brother. So uh, I love. I I just you know I love your whole team, and uh, you got you got a you got a good group around you, man. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, the last six months or eight months that I've been back um it's it's been night and day like the improvement i can feel myself doing things differently and at first when mark had me move in certain ways i was so i was so used to these mistakes that it felt weird doing it right (laughs) so um i'm like mark it don't feel right but i just realized that it don't feel right because i'm doing it wrong the whole time that's how i feel when i fuck um, <laughs> yo, yo, Eddie, uh, speak for speak for yourself. Yeah, you uh, little I feel I feel like dynamite. <laughs> yo, Eddie, man, like when I uh, see when I predicted predicted you to win, like I kind of thought it was going to resemble that. A little bit what you did with Pettis, how you put pressure on him. You had to, the, the, you know, get the blood going into his uh, arms and stuff by putting him up against the cage and putting him down, and then, you know, could then going back to the striking, back to the, you know, mixing it up with a bunch, uh, uh, built through the uh, the strikes, and then and a lot of the uh, making him work to fight off your takedowns and stuff. I thought that was going to be kind of the game plan, but I always knew you had power in the hands where if he's worried about the takedown, that you could start lighting him up. It was the game plan to, to, to try to work him because I know you went for that first shot and when you went for that first shot he got your neck and you had that scramble. I remember thinking, ah, oh, fuck, man, that, that this might be a this is going to be a battle because he took that away. What was the, uh, the the game plan now that it's over? Yeah, I mean the intention at all was not to. I mean, he I think he he was concerned about the wrestling. Yes, and I I thought to me that was a good thing. Because I'm like, his mind's on the wrestling, and that's not where me and Mark Henry were at. We were 
we were totally about explaining his stand up and then of course mixing it up, making him think about the wrestle and make him think about my kicks. Um, I feel like in right now where this sport's at, like you can't, you can't use one thing. You can't say, I'm going to be a guy by striking or I'm going to beat a guy by wrestling. You're, you're a dead man. If that's the game plan you're going in with. So, um, I think it's just important is to keep him guessing period. But, uh, if the minute they think that I'm going to wrestle the whole time, I'm going to become a striker or the minute they think I'm a striker, I'm going to become a wrestler. So like, um, I'm not, I'm not like these other guys who've been around for, three years i'm i'm well versed in everything i have good jujitsu have good kicks good stand up um and i can use it all against the best guys in the world so i'm, I'm going to use it i'm not going to just do one thing what i was really impressed with was when you had him hurt and you knew he was hurt so you stayed on him you smelled blood and then when you did that jumping knee up against the cage and he ended up cross-eyed and he's got very good jujitsu there was a time where you you knew enough not to let him off the hook, and he ended up total cross eyed on you, and you scrambled back up because he, the you know he still had the the cobwebs in his head, so you knew that enough where you could have just chilled and and defended yourself and and uh, rode that out because you know you already hurt him bad, but you you knew to get out, get up, and finish that fight, and you had to exert some energy just to get out from underneath to get up and. What what was going through your head there that you knew he was still he was still on wobbly legs even though he was cross-eyed on you like you knew he was still yeah, struggling that, that that knee is something that his camp does we we train to defend that that knee so like whenever Rafael Cordera and their guys get a guy hurt or have a guy flush against the cage yeah they relax and then they throw this massive uh, switch knee <laughs> so I seen I seen their teammate do it two two fights before I went out. So as I was warming up, I seen their teammate uh, knock a guy out with it. And then right away in my corner, Anderson, Frank, and Mark went, hey, man, there, there it is right there. That's what we're talking about. So I'm like, yeah, I can't get hit with that one. So when I went out there and he was hurt and he was against the cage, I had like a flash. I just thought, hey, man, I could do it too. That is, so I, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I went for it. I wasn't as good at it as, <laughs> as they are. <laughs> I fell on my back, and the first thought was that was a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I, he was like you said, he was still he was still a little beat up, and it was it was an easy get up because uh, he he still had some cobwebs, and then I just yeah. thought a guy as durable as uh, as him, and a guy who's experienced as him, if you if you manage to get him hurt in that twenty five minute window. You gotta go in on him because 100%. that could never happen again. Hundred so. percent. Yeah, it was really. You was... know, Matt George St. Pierre. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. you oh, know sure. bro. You, <laughs> you heard a guy like that who barely makes mistakes. You gotta, you gotta finish. And it's funny because it's always more dramatic for the fight. You know what I mean? It, just like with Bisping <laughs> and Rockhold. Like when you got him hurt. Like when you had him hurt, I was out of my seat. Then. And then you got back up and you knew, like, he's not letting him off the hook. Is he going to land that shot? And then you land a series of shots and it just makes it that more dramatic. You know what I mean? I'm sure you know. I'm sure you watched the fight five to six hundred times already. Do you watch a lot of a victory like that? Let me ask you. you you're a champion already uh, many times over, different organizations. And uh, now that you're the champion of the UFC, does it feel different? Does it feel different to you to be the champion of the world in UFC compared to other organizations? Yeah. I mean, it's it's the mecca. It's the Super Bowl of uh, everything, man. 100%. I just, 
It's surreal. And do you watch your fights? That, that, that was a good question because I'm, I'm wondering if you guys, you'll do it if you have to learn something, but will you go back and just watch a win that felt good? I watch it over and over. Uh, yeah. um, I watch it over and over and over and over. You should. It's your work. <laughs> you got to Dude. How about it, a loss? I've been, waiting, I've been waiting since I've been in the UFC. I've been waiting for a performance like that for God knows how long. Will you watch a loss like that too to learn from it? Or is it one of those like one and done? Like maybe you'll watch it once and you can't see it again. Uh, I, I watch my losses twice as much. Oh, you uh, do? Yeah. I, they anger me and I shut them off in between, but I, I definitely... It definitely drills home when I get a loss to, uh, you know, I obsess about it to the point where I don't want to do it again for a long, long time. That's why you're going to hold on to your belt. I don't watch my fucking losses. I watch once. I'm depressed and I don't watch it. I go, okay, I did that wrong. And let me just fucking erase this from my memory. <laughs> no, I dwell on it. I dwell on it and let it fester until, <laughs> so I, until it never happens again. That's the, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> hey, did you get a chance to see uh, Will Brooks fight uh, Ross Pearson? I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I seen him. I seen him at the MGM. And got, I heard a guy say Eddie, and I just turned around and kind of. I was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" And then the guy I was with said that was Will Brooks, and uh, I'm like, "Oh, I was kind of kind of rude, you know what I mean?" So I, I turned around. I went back to him. I said, "Hey, man, good luck. Good luck with everything. Um, congrats, and uh, go out there and do your thing." And uh, he did. He did well. But did you? Because he he, uh, he he told you he kind of in the ring. He said, "Hold on to that belt for a little bit. You got away from me in the other organization. I'm here now, and I want to take that." <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not sweating. I'm not sweating. Will Brooks. There's a lot of there's a lot of really tough guys in this division. He has to, you know, still fight guys of of the higher caliber and see where he's at. I'm not I'm not worried about him right now. Okay, so you're saying basically, Will Brooks just kind of said that, and it's it's not going to have any impact on what happens. Nah, nah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, who do you think is next to fight you? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, uh, it, Nate Diaz has been speculated, Tony Ferguson. Yeah, I mean, yeah, ideally, I would like the winner, Connor and Nate. That'd be, that'd be awesome. I'm waiting on that. A lot of people are on um, Twitter and a lot of people are online talking about that one. You know, I, I that, that'd be a, uh, an amazing fight. I heard, I heard George is one at 155 and he's been an idol of mine for years so that's that would be an amazing fight i don't know if that could ever happen but i'm just dreaming i'm hoping uh hoping something pops pops up on my desk that i can sign um would you want to fight uh connor next if he got past nate or would you want to fight somebody else first Nah, for sure the winner of that next would love that but do you think that he would do that or because he, he i mean he has to fight uh, i guess jose aldo again is he gonna you think he's gonna stop off at uh Lightweight on the way down? I don't know. I, who knows, right? He's uh, he's fighting welterweight. I mean, nobody ever thought that would happen. And then uh, he hasn't defended the featherweight belt. I think he's just kind of keeping that. So he still has a story to run to uh, when if he loses again. He, he loses a story. So I think uh, he, he creates in fighting, like if you're, if you're not, if you can't win a one weight class, but you're able to go to another one, then you still have your story. You're still alive. It's like it's like lives. So if he bumps up to welterweight, he still has a life at 55 and a life at um, 45 until he gets beat there. So he's just uh, he's playing a, a risk-free game at welterweight 
because he still has two other stories to, to go. <laughs> that's really to. smart. You know, I didn't even think of that. That's like playing three hands of poker at the table at the same time. That's a that's a really smart way to look at it. It's it's because now he has another guaranteed fight, even if he doesn't do well on this one. And it leaves you room for an excuse because oh, I fought forty five. It's a it's a very intelligent way to fight. It's a risk free way to fight, and nothing a fan will ever see. But another fighter will understand what he's doing. Now, is it something that you would do, or have you done that, or, or, or are you just going to stay exactly where you are? I, I began my career at welterweight. The first guy I ever fought was at welterweight. He was a Matt Sarah guy. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to bring that up. Hey, man, I was there for the very beginning of, of your and – no, and that was funny where it was. It was at like some rec center where there was like skateboard ramps, and remember that? Yeah, yeah, that, that was yeah. back in uh, uh, – Elizabeth and Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth, New Jersey, yeah. 2003. And uh, that was your first, very first fight. Now look at us here. How many years later? That's hysterical. I think I, I think I paid the promoter like two hundred bucks so I can fight. Yeah. And uh, there was about seventy five people there. I'm like, yeah, man, this this thing's a dead end. I don't know. Dude. I don't know how many of these things I can do. I remember uh, I was saying it the other day. I, the, the same episode where I was uh, before your fight, where I. Was, I you know, I was picking you. I'm not bringing that up again, Jimmy. But uh, <laughs> I was I was going over that fight. I remember my first impression was my guy went out there, and I think my guy hit you with something, and you gave him a little smirk, and you blasted him. You mount, took him down, mounted him, and beat the shit out of him. I'm like, oh, man, this guy's fucking tough. And then years later, look at this. <laughs> yeah, I was there man. for the very beginning, and now you're the fucking champ, man. Congratulations. That's so great. Yeah, man. And we're in the same family, you know, and we're Ricardo and that, that, that whole crew. You know, we'll be, we'll be, I'm yes. sure we'll be cross-trading sometimes. And, dude, you're always welcome by my place. And, yeah, after fighting you, my guy didn't stay with it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't stay with it. He's like, you know what, baby, this ain't for me. You got to fight animals like this. Are you still, yeah. living in, uh, you still living in Philly where you grew up? Yeah, yeah, Philadelphia, man. Um, tried the Florida thing for a year or so. Couldn't really do it. What part and, of Florida? Uh, back home. I was in Boca Raton um, for for about a year or two, and then uh, and then I came came back home finally and got. I I started with Frankie, with me, Frankie, Remark. We'd always get together right around when I was doing the Dream Tournament around two thousand eight, two thousand seven, and uh, and we we had some good sparring sessions. We we helped each other a lot when I was uh, when I was the Bellator champ and uh, he was the UFC champ. So it was good to get back to that where you know we're all in the same room all pushing each other and filming and just getting better every day so that's where i'm at now why did you choose boca isn't it like all old people down there it was uh, the black Zane, the black zanes were there they had a, a, a real good uh real good team and uh uh I, I went down there to uh work with a lot of their guys henry hooft i'm still i'm still friends with henry hooft and uh and a lot of the coaches down there i just really couldn't live there i was trying to trying to do my best to live there but i'm, I'm a philly guy but hard i ever really couldn't do it yeah there's a very different mentality from philadelphia where i think everybody fights in boca raton where everybody's just fucking old and it's kind of creepy i get tired <laughs> of florida after like two or three days i have to come home <laughs> yeah it's a place to visit place to look at place to uh kind of visit for a little bit and then go back to where you live what kind of neighborhood in philly did you grow up in because philly is really I, I can't think of many cities that have put out consistently better fighters in philadelphia i grew up in a terrible neighborhood <laughs> did you really I, I, if, that if you watch a movie rocky i grew up in kensington that's where rocky was filmed and when i was little it was, it was a good neighborhood there was like boxing gyms on every corner 
and things like that. Later on, when I got around eight, nine years old or something like that, um, it got it got pretty much taken over by drugs, Section 8 housing, you know, all, all that stuff. So it was like it's basically a war zone from when I was like 10 years old all the way to about when I moved out. When I had my first kid, I moved out of there. Um, so it's it, literally, I, I went down there to UFC cameras. They asked me to go down there to, to show them where I grew up. And I, and I asked them a number of times to not go there. And the guy insisted that we should go. So finally we go. And, uh, the minute we got out of the car, a uh, lady came running up to us in a panic and asked us like, what, what are we doing here? And that we shouldn't be here. And I said, I, I, I know that I told them that a number of times and the camera dudes were like looking at me, like, I'm like, let's get this done quick, whatever you're trying to do. And then let's roll. So that's what we did. So what were they, uh, you, you were, you were worried that you were in a drug, drug area and they could misinterpret your reasons for being down there. You're going to get robbed or, or worse. I know. I, I don't ever mind going there. I grew up there. I don't mind. I don't, I don't have nothing for them to take. They wanted to go there with like really expensive cameras and shit, and I'm like, that ain't a good idea. I don't want to be with you guys. That you're yeah. Be walking. You're gonna be walking around with cameras that are, you know, twenty, fifty thousand dollars. I'll, I'll do my own thing right. over here with nothing, and then you can hang out, you know, with really expensive shit over there. I, I, I just, I always feel safe where where I grew up, regardless of how bad it gets. But I don't feel safe going there with valuable shit. So you, um, do you have to fight a lot when you were a kid going to school? Is that kind of how you got into this? Is like, you know, just walking to school, you, you learn how to fight? Uh, I think the neighborhood in general, you, you fought. So like I, there was boxing gyms on every corner, like I said. So you had to be part of a boxing gym or like that was our, just how a kid wants to be on a soccer team or a baseball team or something like that. And Kensington, when you grow up, it was like, what boxing team were you on? Were you on? Were you on Harrogate? Were you on Ramblers? Were you on Front Street? So them gyms would spar each other and fight each other. And then when you were just kind of chilling out on the block, you would run into them kids who sparred for another gym or trained at another gym. And I, I just remember being young, uh, walking down the street with like four four boxing gloves and knocking for friends, you know, and being like, "Hey, you want to you want to fight?" Um, and then some would say no, and then you got a couple kids would always say, yeah. So, um, just fight, fighting was like our, our baseball, you know, that's what we did. It was just what you did. And I'm, I'm, you, you became a pro, I think. What were you, uh, training for like, uh, eight months or nine months and you became a pro? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the minute I, I came out of high school wrestling, I got, I was, I was getting a bunch of free fights and, and dumb shit. And, uh, I finally oh. said, I don't want to try that, you know, cause UFC started to, to make a little thing. I said, I want to try that. So I trained for about eight months and, uh, and I asked the guy I was training with Stephen Haig. I think Matt, Matt might know him. I said, Hey, can can we, can we do a fight? And, uh, Steve said, yeah, let's do a fight. And that was it. Oh, okay. And, uh, you managed yourself, uh, for four years. I was watching one of your old fights and I think it was, uh, it might've been Shamrock that was talking about you managing yourself for four years, which probably is the most amazing thing I heard about any fighter in a long time, is that you were able to pull that off for four years and continue. I managed myself all the way to making about thirty grand per fight. I think when I signed with Bodog, they they decided to pay me thirty thousand per fight, and then they started giving me contracts that were really sick, and they had TV stuff in them, 
So that's when I got a manager. Um, before they were willing to pay me that amount, um, I was just doing everything through ticket sales and, you know, the normal way that you come up. But the minute, the minute I was able to do it for a living and quit my job and the contract got really like past, uh, three pages long, I, I decided to, to get someone to look over it for me. Oh, okay. What were you like? What would, what would an average fight pay before the the thirty thousand fight when you were doing ticket sales and stuff like that? Like, what what, what was a, considered a decent night? It was re- it was really negotiated upon tickets. You didn't really get a winning show. Um, you you know, Matt, it was Atlantic City yeah. days with Lou Neglia and these other promoters. They they basically gauged what you got paid off your tickets. And at the time, I was dealing with Russians for MFC and uh, before it became Bodog. And uh, I just negotiated. I said I wanted uh, 30 to 40% of my ticket sales. Um, and I said, you don't have to pay me winning show. I don't care about winning show. So at that point, I was bringing between five and 800, maybe five and 800 people down to Atlantic City to watch fights. So I would get, I'd sell tickets for 50 bucks a piece, and then I'd get like 30 bucks. Wow. I'd get 30% of my total. So I would bring them a book bag full of cash. They would give me my cut and then I'd end up selling like 500 t-shirts or something. So I, I always got paid well at a very early point in my career only because I, I had a huge following from Philadelphia watching me in Atlantic city. But you also hustled and sold your own stuff and kind of got involved in the, in the business end of it. Like a lot of fighters probably never have that and have no idea how to, to make money or how the money is calculated because they don't do any of it themselves from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Early in my career, I, I realized that I could have zero talent if I sold a lot of tickets, promoters would want me to fight. So <laughs> I realized that the, the amount of tickets I sold correlated to the amount of... Uh, how much people wanted me to fight. So I, I was real with myself. I, I wasn't great at fighting. I was good at fighting, but I, I, I brought a lot of people to the show with me and uh, promoters wanted that. What do you think would have happened to you if you didn't fight? Were you, were you going down a bad road or do you think that was there another kind of career that you were looking at? Or did you have no idea at that point? I was doing concrete work every day. Um, I was, I did, I did masonry work. I was a finisher. And I did that for about four or five years and trained after work. And we did, I did that for about four or five years straight where I was, where I was working concrete and then, and then training. So I kind of used concrete for strength conditioning and then, and then I'd head to boxing and I had to jujitsu at night. So Jesus. there was a time in my life where I was just like falling asleep while I was driving <laughs> uh, because I was, I was trying to chase the dream of being a fighter but I was also needed to be real and get bills paid. So um, every day I'd go to work, I'd be like, man, I hope this fighting shit works out because I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do concrete for a living. And um, I think my main drive uh, was that I just, I didn't want to work. I didn't want to work a job for yeah, a living. office. Yeah. Yeah, just like no way I'm doing concrete work, you know, that's that's crazy. I I thought more of myself, so I'd go to work every day and just be like I could spend these eight hours training, no one would no one would fuck with me. No one no one could beat me if if, if I could just spend this, this time that I'm working just training. And uh little by little it became more of a reality when, when the when we got paid more. 
What was the first, do you remember the first thing you treated yourself to when you made real money? Like the first thing you're like, fuck it, I have to go out and have that even though it's probably more than I should pay for it. No, nah, I'm cheap, man. I'm oh, are you really? Yeah, yeah, I'm cheap. I don't, I'm I'm like a, I'm from humble beginnings, so I don't mm. I don't buy cars, I don't buy jewelry, I'm, I'm I don't buy myself clothes. My if I have anything nice on, it's because my wife bought it for me, probably. Um, <laughs> Same thing with me with that. That's <laughs> I'm just not that kind of not that kind of dude, and I'm not going to be that kind of champion. That's for sure. I I'm pretty frugal. I, I don't want to be broke again. Yeah. I was broke, and I don't ever want to be broke again. So. I kind of I invest I, I invest in real estate. Kind of try to read as much as I can and, and do the right things with with the money I got because I, I don't want to fuck it up. That's I don't so fuck smart, this money dude. Up. <laughs> that, that's really smart because a lot of uh, my mother was good with money. My father's like me; we're both a couple of asses with money. But my mother was responsible. But guys that think it's never going to run out, it's like and plus, if you fucking save your money and, and you never have to do anything you don't want to do to to make money because you haven't wasted it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the the Bellator thing. Like a lot of guys, we make a lot of money. We spend it all. When when I got sat with Bellator for a year and a half, I I invested in, in a property. And if I did, if I didn't do that, I I sold that property during that downtime, and that was able to keep me afloat and keep bills paid and, and keep everyone comfortable while I went through that. Um, so um, I learned a valuable lesson there. You know, I was lucky that. I didn't spend that on a car or something stupid because it got me through a really tough time. So uh, I continue to do that because this sport, you know, all we have is today and who knows if tomorrow is going to be the same. It's really uncertain. So uh, you can't fuck up your money because it might be the last shot. So um, try to try to make the right moves as good as I can. And it's different. It's different when you're like, a, a, it's not just you, when you got a family. I know you're a family man. Like when I had, I used to live at my school when I opened up my school and, and not really give too much of a shit. I was living the dream, teaching jujitsu, fighting. But then once you have kids, how many kids you got? I got four. Oh I shit, got, man. Uh, you, sir, you got past uh, me. Eddie, Anthony, Alistair, and Aniston. Uh, 11, 8, 6, and uh, a year and a half. Oh, I, I gotta ask great. you. Alistair that's... is such a cool name. You know, like, I, I think uh, who did you name Alistair after? Now, of course, you think Alistair Crowley, but there must have been someone else you named Alistair after. No, when I went back to Japan in 2008, um, I, I seen Alistair Overeem was fighting on our cards, and I thought to myself, that is the coolest name, and I'm never going to see this guy again. I'm never <laughs> going to deal with him again. Um, so I'll name my kid that, and I'll never. I'll be able to just say, yeah, I came up with the name. Like it, <laughs> well, the, you know, Alistair was born, and then next thing you know, I was in a training camp with Alistair Overeem, and I, I it, it it is spelled differently. It's not spelled the same as Alistair, but uh, I I really didn't want to explain to Alistair Overeem that you know his head's big enough. I didn't want to tell him that. I uh, your kid's I name my kid after for- him. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as you enjoy some of the money, you got to enjoy it a little bit. Like, you know, Mick Foley's a buddy of mine, and I love Mick, but Mick was so crazy with money. Like, he was literally sleeping on fans' couches. I would talk to Mick, and he'd be like, I slept on fans. Like, why the fuck would you? You're out of your mind. He would just go crash at their houses. We, If I have a voice with the money, we, we uh, spend a lot on, like, just kind of doing shit, you know? Like, doing anything with six people is expensive. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you... <laughs> Uh, anything, but uh, 
if we spend a lot on anything, it's just doing stuff with our family. Me and my wife are going somewhere. We don't really think about uh, sort of what we're spending when we go do something, and, and we're pretty spontaneous. So we'll pop out and do a vacation, and we might drop you know thousands of dollars, but uh, I don't I don't see that as a as a loss as long as everybody's having a good time. So right, right, right. We um that's that's that'd be the only way that I, I really splurge. Otherwise, I'm pretty tight. I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> well, that's great, man. And you're you, you're an awesome fighter, and uh, I'm really happy. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, and I'm happy that we could we could get you today. And uh, you know, congratulations, man. That was a, an extraordinarily impressive win. Yeah, man. Congrats, and thanks for coming on with us, Eddie. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it, guys. All right, the great Eddie Alvarez. Thank you, buddy. All right. Good dude, huh? Yeah, man. Just a regular. That's a Philly guy. Yeah, what a nice. I mean, uh, down to earth. No I'm catching, I'm catching up to him with kids. I got three, but I know what he's talking about. That Alistair, does... you know, it's funny. I thought of Alistair Overeem when he said that and Crowley, but I didn't think like you know that like, is funny. <laughs> and it turned out it was Alistair Overeem. Can you believe that fucking Brock pay? I just kind of mentioned that casually. Yeah, but that's a lot of money. Well, hey man, he's got that following. You know, they'll they'll follow him over from the WWE. He's got that it factor. Not the UFC doesn't have that kind of money, considering. Huh. Not that they don't have it, considering <laughs> there was a uh, little... This is how dumb people are on Twitter. Now, I know I'm breaking ground by saying people can be fucking dumb on Twitter. Oh, really? UFC is sold for $4 billion. Wow. I go on Twitter and say, um, so yeah, the UFC has been sold for $4 billion, and I got 7% of the company when I signed on to do the podcast, so that's kind of cool. Now, 98% of the people who aren't assholes know that I'm kidding, but there were people, without irony... Who are going, dude, that's pretty, that is good. <laughs> like, really? Do you think that'd be my reaction if I just made $280 million or whatever it was? You think I'd still be doing this shitty podcast? No offense. I'd set fire to this building. <laughs> I'd set fire. fucking million. You'd kick me in With the you guys in it. <laughs> <laughs> With you guys in it. Um, <laughs> it. It's funny. Four billion. And then people were like, How, what do you think Dana lied to you for? First of all, Dana kind of beat around the bush. It was an awkward, when you have a $4 yeah. billion, I'm not upset at that, $4 billion deal on the table. You have to handle it a certain way. Anyone that thinks that if two of their friends on a podcast ask them a question with $4 billion at stake. Yeah. Um, I'm not really insulted. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But he did say, like, you know, and, and this was what kind of told me that there might be a sale. Because it was, and even look, and look, and, and even if it had, like, your employees would have nothing to worry about. It's like, he wouldn't have said that if there wasn't something happening. And I hear he is staying, and that's what a lot of people were worried about. Uh, no, they he said is. Lorenzo was yeah. stepping down, that was part of the deal. And uh, William Morris is kind of leading a bunch of different companies that are tied in. It's like a, a group effort, I guess, to buy the UFC. But I don't blame the Fertitas. I mean, a $4 billion, you know, uh, a sale. Uh, they paid $2 million. They sunk in, like, what, 40 So it was $42 million. I mean, I mean Jesus hey, Christ. I talked to Dana yesterday. He was saying this shit's going to the next level, man. Just the next level. So... Uh, that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, here he's he, bonusing yeah. podcast people. It's just one of those things. He's kind of <laughs> he's crediting us in a weird way with just having been the, you know, the thing that got it pushed. But he he's staying for a while. I hope. Yeah. Well, no, he's 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 saying he's busier than ever, and it's you know business as usual, man. It's it's nothing. It's nothing but a good thing. It's nothing but bigger things coming. So. Yay, that's exciting. I'm excited about it, and I'm excited that we still got a job. That's all I care about. <laughs> Me too. At the end of the day, not to be a selfish prick, I got three kids. I'm like, wait, there's a sale? What? But it's all good, man. Yeah, I mean, I have no kids, yeah. um, but I do have sexual bills to pay. So, you know, we all have our money for what we <laughs> what we need. Um, 
Hey, look, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports UFC Unfiltered. And we do appreciate that, guys. Thank you very much. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements, your pay subs, the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today, quickenloans.com slash unfiltered. It is an equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. But uh, I can tell you from experience, man, I wish I had had this a few months ago when I was going through a mortgage because I did get my mortgage but not with the first bank I applied for, and it was horrendous. So if I ever have to do it again, at least I know who I'm going to do it with. Yes. Um, you know, but they're sponsors, and we do appreciate that. I think it's their first uh, week on the program yeah. or second week on the program. Yes. What do I know? I'm just a sweet boy. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, so a little John Jones, uh, manager, uh, uh, Malky. Uh, how do you say his last name? Kawa or Kawa? I believe it's Kawa. All right, good. I got on the first shot. He said that Jones missed out on an eight-figure payday. We're talking about the UFC's finances. Mm. Now, eight figures doesn't make much. It all depends on where you put the decimal point. You know, I've lied to women. <laughs> eight figures, you know, but I, you know, it's actually you know a couple of thousand. I'll tell you, we saw we saw John Jones that night when we were going to that cafe. We didn't talk about this, did we? No, we saw him, and uh, you know, he's just super nice and depressed. Not not depressed. He was sad about the whole thing, and. And, uh, you know, he, he's sticking to to his guns on what's up, on what's going on. And he's just, I felt bad for the guy. I really did. Like, he just, he just seemed so depressed. We were walking around the area. We were staying at the Vidara, which is a weird name, a V and a D. I mean, believe me, I, God knows why those letters are together in my life, but I don't know why you put them in a hotel. But we're walking around, and uh, again, we didn't talk about this. I forget what we've talked about on air and off. But I'm with uh, Din Thomas and uh, and Matt, and we're going through the uh, area, and we see uh, Alistair Overeem, who I really would like to to speak to and get a photo with because I like him and eventually interview him. But uh, he doesn't seem like he's down. He's not ever too happy. He's met me with people, but he always kind of looks at me. Looks like a fucking James Bond villain. He looks like a Bond villain, but he looks at me the way you would look at a man, like if I walked up and my dick was just hanging out, like the weird look. Like he's not. His eyes widen. No, he looks cautious and uncomfortable. <laughs> like he stares at me cautiously. Are you <laughs> smiling at him though? No, but I'll, I'll say things like, hey, and he's like, he'll just nod and kind of <laughs> look away uncomfortably. Like I uh, might like, just be him. Creeper, get away from me. <laughs> so anyway, we see him. He's a very imposing figure. We see him in the uh, aria. And uh, Matt and Din say hello to him and I nod and he just ignores me. And then um, we're going to the restroom a few minutes later and we see him talking in the lobby. And he's talking to, I, I say to Matt, is that fucking Jones? Like, you just can't believe yeah. that on the Saturday. You didn't think it was. And I'm like, no, that's him. But because it's after the fights on the Saturday. Yeah. And there's John in a Vegas lobby. And he's not being mobbed. He has the beard. And he's talking to Alistair Overeem. Obviously, they, they both train at uh, you know, Jackson Wing. But still, to see them talking there without 500 people around them was bizarre. So we go to the bathroom and we come out. And it's indeed them. So I'm like, fuck it. I mean, John looks at me and I look at him and he kind of nods. And I know he's talking to Alistair, but I'm going to go over and say hello because I like John. So I walk over 
And I just kind of give him the, hey. And Alistair looks at me, and I guess he thinks, oh, good. <laughs> Blinking creeper boy is back. <laughs> Dick hanging out. I'm leaving. So he walks away. He literally walked away like I was walk- walking over the tray of shit. Well, would anybody care for a nibble of this? <laughs> yeah, you got him out of there. <laughs> I couldn't have chased him away faster with a tray of shit. And uh, John chatted with us. It was uh, Then by that time, Dan and, uh, Matt came over. And uh, he did seem down, but he seemed like he's like hoping it's only going to be a six-month thing. And, uh, you know, he, the highlight, of course, self-centered ass that I am, was that he listens to the, the podcast. And he said, we have great chemistry. He goes, man, you guys sound <laughs> good. You got great chemistry. It was really nice to, to hear. The guy, wait, wait. The guy's going through the toughest time ever. We're giving ourselves, we're just taking a compliment he gave us and running with it. That's exactly what you do. You take the, We all take everything how it relates to us. But, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that he does only get a six-month thing. Yeah, man, I, I just hope that goes as, as smoothly as possible after everything comes back and yada, yada. But I hope let, so. Hey, let, let, me, let me tell you, I was, I don't know if I was save this for later. I wanted to talk to you about uh, the latest Dana White looking for a fight. And, uh, oh, I, you man. know, the one, you saw it with me. You watched it with me backstage with Dana. We yes, I did. On iPad. And I got to Del, I, delve. 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 Yep. Delve? No, I get to into delve. Delve into your world of stand-up comedy. Yep. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you. I should never second guess. Why do I always second guess myself on this? There's a good reason. Exactly. Yeah, you think so? But, uh, oh, man, Jimmy. Uh, the Laugh Factory. It, it, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, the latest uh, episode seven of Dana White looking for a fight on YouTube or uh, UFC Fight Pass. It is. Uh, it, it, we, we do stand up comedy in LA. That's because we, we do. You know, for people who don't know about the show, we go around looking for upcoming talent for the UFC or the Ultimate Fighter at these smaller MMA events around the country. And uh, while we're there, we do some wacky shit. You know, I rode a bull. I I did uh, dog sledding. I'm having some great life experiences on yeah. the show, Jimmy. Really, I really am. I'm enjoying myself and now my buddy dean thomas is on the show with me and we have a blast you know me him and dana so we had to go to the famous laugh factory did you ever do the laugh factory i have it's never a great room for me because the energy is so positive and fun (laughs) i'm a fucking funeral dirge man it's just so (laughs) compact you're funny but it was, it was, and I'm telling you, this is coming from a guy that used to fight in a cage for a living and rode a fucking bull. It was one of the scariest things I ever did. And when I got off that stage, it it felt like I won a fight. And yeah. I, you see it on there. What I like about the episode is they film right before we go out. You catch like the, it's like, you see what it's like. The behind the scenes shit's what's always fascinating no matter what I watch. And then after I get off the stage, I'm hugging my uh, Brian Kalin. You know Brian Kalin? I do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know him for like 20 years. He trained over at... Uh, at the Henzo Gracie's Academy, uh, back when he was on Mad TV, like I seriously, oh my God, I forgot he was on. Oh, that, yeah. dude, that was like literally. I was like 21, and I met Brian back in the in the city, and uh, and and uh, we became friends then. So he was a familiar face, and he was very comforting there. So I I just gave him a bear hug, and I'm kissing him, and I'm telling him how happy I am. It was they captured all of it, but what an experience, man! I give you a lot of credit, man, because I played that one. Th- I played that one thing. Look, I'm a big comedian now, but I had that one. I had my set. But I did that thing on there, and oh man, dude, that, it's fucking orgasmic when you do well. I mean, I did well. It was a UFC crowd. I don't want to, you know, not the second Jimmy Norton coming out, the second coming of Jimmy Norton. But I was fucking what an experience, Jimmy. You know, I remember we talked about it before, <laughs> and it was really funny to watch the episode because 
Uh, Dana was very funny. He's talking. He goes, my fucking arms are sweating. And I really enjoyed It was so funny to see him. I don't think I've ever seen Dana White nervous before, other than the time I accidentally bled around him. Um, he's always pretty comfortable and, and unfazable. And uh, he was, said he was really, really scared. And to see you guys nervous about doing something was interesting. And, and I forget as a comic because it's what I do for 26 years. That to people who don't do it, I mean, I get nervous sometimes. Of course I do. Yeah. But it's, it's like it's not a paralyzing fear because I know what to expect. But I forget guys who don't do it what it's like for them. And all three of you guys who are really guys, like Dana fought before he was, he was a boxer and he did some boxing promoting. He's a guy that's been in the fighting trenches, you, you and Din both. To see you guys nervous about something Man. was very interesting. And, and I'm not being polite and towing the company line, but you guys were all funny. Um, and who is it? Tony uh, Hinchcliffe? Is that how you say his last name? Like, yes. Tony's a funny fucking dude, man. And he helped Dana write stuff. And uh, did Brian help you? Nobody helped me. Or did nobody, Brian help him? Nobody helped me at Brian all. Brian was there. And Brian I, was there to hang out. Nobody wrote a oh, thing for me. Which Nick Swartzen was the coach. Nick Swartzen's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Brian Kalen's awesome. No, everybody was very supportive. David Spade was there. I met him. Very nice. And... Uh, Man, I'm I'm really I'm really proud of it. It wasn't it was it listen, I'm never doing it again. It's not a second career for me. I did it once. It's like somebody trying an MMA fight out, getting in there, getting a nice quick finish or a nice fucking performance and then saying, "All right, good, I'm hanging up my gloves." That's that's me. I threw down the mic. I'm done. But wow, but Jimmy, what a life experience, man. Sold out crowd at the Laugh Factory. Again, it was a UFC crowd, so I know I had that going for me. I you still they, could have bombed, I, man. I know. You still could have eaten your dick and you did great. <laughs> I, I watched it. You. you were funny, man. Thanks, man. Matt was genuinely funny and all the guys did well. And it was like it was everyone knows you're not stand up, but you and yeah. I'm really being honest, you were all funny and Matt comes out and he's just such a real fucking guy like the guy you see listed on the pocket this is who Matt's you know hey he's just talking hey, fuck what about that cunt Adrian yeah. that's my favorite line from anything I've seen in 10 years and it's funny because I've I had that little I don't want to say bit but I guess it is a bit but I've done it before I on I did it once on uh on 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 Opie and Jim Norton, and I did it once, uh, a little version of it, nothing too big, but a kind. That's where it was like I was kind of hashing it out. So I'm like, man, what do I, what do I do when I go? And I don't know what I don't know. I don't want to go up there and tell jokes. Yeah, I don't know jokes. So I went up there and I just did that little bit with, uh, you know, basically how Adrian started off good and became a fucking cunt. It was, but it was very <laughs> funny. And uh, and Dana was up there doing like political jokes too. Oh no, like, yeah, Dana was. Uh, the, the, and left for nothing. The guy wrote the material for him, but you still got to go up there and deliver it. He of was course. shitting himself, and he, he didn't, didn't have his... to confess that. That was the funny part with that he actually did confess it, and he didn't have to. I'm happy he confessed it. Sure, I really am. You know, and uh, and it's funny because he wanted to watch it with me for some reason. He goes, "Oh, I got the laptop. Uh, get to the arena early. I want, I want to, I want to watch it with you." So I'm like, "Oh, that's nice." Dana wants to watch the, the show with me, but that's why he wanted to see mine and Dean's. Uh, a face when he let the cat out of the bag that he had help. So. Am I saying his name wrong? I'm saying Din Thomas. It's not Din. Listen, it's, it's not his fault. His parents couldn't spell. It's it's D I N, but it's he's Dean. It like is. Okay, I, Dean. He's, this is why everybody okay. calls. Don't listen. It's his parents' fault. 
But uh, they just can't spell. But uh, I, the, first of all, how, how great is Dean Thomas? He's awesome. He was very <laughs> funny on stage, too. He was talking about uh, his first orgasm or whatever. He was yeah. kind of relaying it to his uh, personal and, life. And, and I don't think he, how about, I don't think that guy was fucking nervous. He does improv groups and this yeah. and improv. And yeah, that guy's definitely going to be headed to Hollywood, Dean Thomas. Here's why I <laughs> called him Dean. Because I know it's Dean because I hung out with him. We yeah. had a great time. And he said I was embarrassing him. He does a radio show in, in, in Florida or something. Yeah, he does Morning Wood with uh, uh, Tyron uh, Woodley. And we have a buddy named uh, uh, Eric, who's a mutual friend. E-Rock on, uh, was on Opie and Anthony, and now he's still with us in the morning. And stupid E-Rock, by the way, said uh, Din Thomas, who said I was embarrassing him because I was referring to him as my fiancé. Like, we were doing something, and, and I'm waiting for some guy, and he's coming out of the bathroom, and I'm like, yeah, he's, you, you, he's, someone asked me something, I'm like, yeah, well, my fiancé's right here. And he, and he walks out, and he didn't know how to take it. And in this <laughs> day and age, nobody questions it. Yeah, exactly. So he and I are on the elevator one time, and, and it's just me and him going up, and there's a drunk guy, and the guy's so drunk, he's going, and he's spitting on the floor. You know when your mouth gets filled uh, with water when yeah. you're going to puke? Can't blame the, the guy. The guy was so drunk. So I get off the, the elevator, and it's, the door's about to close, and it's just him and Dean on the elevator now. And I just look at Dean, I'm like, I love you. And the door's closed. So I leave the <laughs> two of them. So I was embarrassing him. So stupid E-Rock comes to me, and he goes, Din Thomas, who works with my friend. And he said Din like 10 times. And I'm like, oh, no. Have I been saying this poor fucker's name wrong? I'm so Iraq is Iraq is so dumb. I love Iraq, but this I can't even go into it. We interviewed Robert F. Kennedy Jr. yesterday, RFK's son. And after the show, we're talking about the Kennedy assassination. And we had to come back on for a minute to wrap up the show. Yeah. But 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 this is RFK's son talking about his assassinated uncle, JFK. Yeah. And he's actually a conspiracy theory guy. And we're talking, and instead of just playing, uh, like, we we were going to be coming back in a minute, but instead of just telling the producer, play a bit or something, these guys are going to be in a minute, he, he's talking to us about the assassination, and Eric walks in and goes, one minute! Meaning we have to come back, and then and RFK goes, oh, okay, guys, and then he walks out. He walks out? I, I, now if, if you know Eric Nagel, he's a good boy, and I love him, but he's not a bright bulb. <laughs> one minute! I, I I was stunned. Oh, you know, speaking of being stunned, really, really, really quick. <laughs> so Jimmy. he fucked up two things yesterday. It's Dean Thomas era. Hey, hey, Jimmy. What yes, about sir. what about where me and you are walking back with our, our, our pathetic bladders because we both have to oh, piss every, after every fight. Me and it's you. It's the worst. And uh, we're walking back, and I've seen Jim get tackled, straight up tackled. His water goes flying, and it was CM Punk. And it was, I got a picture of you guys, of him hugging you right after. Dude, you look mortified, your face, when I saw you on the floor. Well, can I explain what happened there? Because here's what happened. CM Punk, who is a buddy of mine, off yeah. the air, and you know, before he came on, he texted me like, I love CM. And uh, he comes up to me, and I'm walking, and, I, and uh, the day before, I had been with Dine Thomas. And, um, <laughs> and, and uh, Dean and I were walking. And he's talking to some guy right after this fiance incident. And the guy's going, hey, man. And the guy's calling Dean out on something kind of playfully. And then I'm like, come on, let's go, man. And the guy goes, hey, man, I know you're waiting to get out of here. And the guy just kind of gives me like a little gentle pat on the cheek. And I'm like, oh, him and Dean are buddies. So me and Dean are walking. And Dean goes, hey, fucking fight fans. Of the world. I'm like, what? Like, he didn't even know the guy. So some strange fight fan just kind of touched my neck gently, <laughs> like in, a, in an alpha way. But I thought it was... Like his friend just joking with, oh, that's great. so I'm like, what the fuck? So the next day, CM Punk is we're backstage, grabs me, and I don't recognize him because oh, he man, has a it beard. It was fast. So I'm thinking this is another fucking touchy fight fan, 
and he grabs me and then he like he's leaning me back and my back gently hits this metal bar. It didn't hurt, yeah. but then I'm like, okay, and he puts me on my back on the floor. And I'm no, like, did it, this cocksucker just put me on the floor? That, you're making it sound slow. It was fast. Yeah, oh, very like fast. It, it was like he, boom, and it's like he tackled. It looked like he tackled you, but he let you down gentle enough where you didn't get hurt or anything. But I saw it was him. I saw it was him. I didn't know. I'm like, this <laughs> fucking, this cocksucker fight fan. And then we shake hands because Matt's laughing. I'm trying to be good natured. I'm going to I'm gonna tweet the picture. I'm going to, the pic I took of you guys right immediately afterwards of him hugging you and just letting you know it's okay he and said you it was, still look more I'm but then he said it was CM and I'm like oh my god and then I really hugged him I'm like I didn't recognize you so he probably thought like wow Norton lost his sense of humor yeah I, I just didn't recognize him with the beard I'm, I'm so glad I didn't hit him because A I would have gotten fired from this podcast and gotten the shit beaten out of me by CM Punk if I, if but I, I, I almost lashed out physically just thinking it was a fight fair I'm so yeah. happy I didn't do people, that people I'm telling I'm oh. talking to the audience people if I forget just Remind me to to tweet that pic because I I'll forget by the time I get out of here. But uh, of them to of him hugging Jimmy and letting him know it's okay right afterwards because I I tried to capture some of it but I just missed when you got up and you're you guys are holding each other and and you look mortified. I I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know it was him. I, I was happy that I got to meet. Finally got to meet uh, Stepe Miocic. I've been wanting to oh, meet Steve, him and say a, hello. What a great guy Stepe is. What a nice guy, huh? Yeah, we chatted for a bit and. Uh, he was him and his beautiful wife were back there talking, and then and Conor McGregor goes back, and I met Conor the night before. I sat next to him, and can we take a picture? And he was very nice. And then my camera was malfunctioning. I'm like, because Dana had said hello to him. And I'm like, can we do it again? And he was like, all right, you know, was fucking slightly annoyed. I think I saw a press yes, conference Conor yes. for a second. He wanted to smack <laughs> me, but he was cool. So we see him the next night, and Reed Harris introduces us, and Conor remembered me, as you will remember a fucking creep who sat next to you. You know, yeah, we yeah. met last night. And uh, so we said hello, and I told him I'd love to get you on the podcast. And he was like, okay, you know, we'll try it. And then I, I asked Stipe, I'm like, have you, do you know Connor? And uh, he's like, no, I haven't. I'm like, well, come over. And I'm like, I'm going to go over. I'm going to introduce him. I met Connor once for a half second the night after annoying the poor fucker for a picture. And now I'm like his agent introducing him to the heavyweight champ. And Stipe was like almost embarrassed for me. He's like, no, no, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And, then, and then I'm like, I'm like, an, I'm like his mom. I'm like, I'm like Mrs. Miocic. I'm snapping photos. There's my boy talking to Connor. He's right there. Do you want to meet him? Do you want to meet him? He's right there. But of course they talked because they had something in common. You know, they're both yeah. men who fight for a living. And I'm fucking, you know, just a stupid asshole snapping photos that didn't come out well. But uh, we also have, uh, we have another guest uh, today, which I'm also, should I do the read before or after our guest? Well, I'm going to do the read right now. And they keep everybody in suspense on who's coming out. I'm not even going to mention know. her championship name. Uh, <laughs> hey, by the way, I do want to thank, honestly, Harry's for supporting the podcast. Now, uh, Harry's makes its own high-quality razors. They really cut out the middleman, and they ship them directly to you for half the price of the leading brands. It's a good shave at a good price. I would have written the copy and said good shave at a great price or great shave it because it is a great price. And by cutting out the middleman, they mean, why is it when I buy a high-end razor, I have to go there and get a security team to walk over with a key? It's like, this is not Fort Knox. And then it makes that loud, <laughs> when you pull that thing aside, you know that little piece of plastic? Like, they hide the razors. Like they're, they're the aliens. Remember in uh, Independence Day when they go and they look at the alien, they're all behind that plexiglass. Yeah. That's what these stupid razors are like in the pharmacy. Could you open this? Okay. And then they pull out the razor. 
This is simple. You get the best of both with Harry's Good Shave, the good shave and the good price. Harry's makes just one razor with all you need for a close, comfortable shave. Five German-crafted blades, flex hinge, and lubricating strip. Quality is guaranteed. It's a full refund if you're not happy. And as you know, I love when companies do that. Stop compromising on your shave. There's nothing worse than a lousy shave. You look stupid and you feel stupider. For uh, for far too many for long for far too many long. Why don't I just read like a big boy? <laughs> far too many long. You've either paid too much for a comfortable shave, or you're going to settle for a low price but low quality razor. Harry's offers something you've never had before: a great shave at a fair price. Look, you want to save money and go with a dirt cheap razor? Fine. Go to the gym and take one of those pieces of garbage out of the little plastic. Oh, I'll save a buck. Yeah. And you really, your throat uh-huh. is cut. Factory direct price is cut out the middleman. No up charges. It's half the price of the leading brands. Harry's starter set, now this is important, it's called the Truman. The Harry and the Truman. Okay, I guess that was on purpose. I don't know. But it's a great option for new customers, and it's an amazing deal. You know what's throwing me, by the way? I know you're all listening to this, and and this, and Harry's people are probably going, he's the dumbest man on earth. No. no there's, you hear this? Yeah. That I, I don't think they're going to hear it at home. But no, I know, but I it hear it. They're, they're building it, something downstairs. It sounds like the scene from King Kong where you're going to sacrifice the, uh, the chick. And all the, the natives are playing the drums. That's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> Did it's it sound like that? I and don't nobody know. hears it. But let me tell you something. I used to get ingrown airs. I've been using, uh, I, and I used a lot of high-end brand. High-end brand? Yeah, high-end brand. Oh, okay. Ingrown so, airs uh, was I, weird. But <laughs> ingrown, did I say ingrown hairs? You, you certainly did. <laughs> Listen, ingrown hairs. I get them like a motherfucker. And I don't get them from using these razors. And I, and I love it fucking harry's it's, it's, it's great look 15 dollars. you get a razor handle moisturizing shave cream and three of harry's five blade german engineered razors plus there's a special offer for fans of this program harry's is going to give you five dollars off your first purchase with promo code ufc go to harry's.com right now and look for the truman set that's h-a-r-r-y-s dot com enter code ufc and you check out to get five dollars off. You're going to help support the show. What is that? Ten bucks? Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. Harry's.com promo code UFC. Help us out and help your stupid face out. That's your wife it. is sick of looking at your unshaven, improperly half-shaved face. Dude, Stop it. For the best shave of your life. Harry's. Sick of you people. Yes. Go to Harry's. Go to Harry's. All right, we ready for our guest? I am very, very psyched, not only because I admire her as a fighter, and she is quickly becoming uh, one of my favorite people to watch. So uh, on the phone, we have the strawweight champion, Joanna Yunjacek. Thank you for joining the program. Thank you. Congratulations on your victory. Congrats, Joanna. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> How did I do with your name? Did I did it fairly good justice? Uh, yes, you are now champion, and that's all. <laughs> okay, you are a champion, and forget <laughs> the last name. simple. That's that's what I call. I it. I, I have a plan to retire as a as a champion, you know, as undefeated. So I'm good. Do you feel it's funny? You know, you're you're 12 and 0 now, and Ronda. I think Ronda Rousey was was she 10 or 12 and 0, and, and then she lost. And it seems like it really might have put the whammy on her a little bit. Uh, are you worried about taking a first loss or or not having gotten that out of the way? Uh, you know, we are an athlete, so. When I step into the octagon, I visualize, I always want to win, you know, but in the back of my head, I have like 
I have in my mind that it's a sport, you know. MMA is very beauty, beautiful, but brutal sport, you know. We can, uh, one punch, one submission can finish the fight. We can lose the fight, you know. But before every fight, I talk to myself and I always say, like, Joanna, go there, step into the octagon, put on great work, show them who you really are, you know. If you win, if you lose, doesn't matter, you know. Like, well, be okay with, your, with, your, with yourself, you know, with your heart. Mind and soul, that's all, you know. But the thing is, like, Renda was very dominant in, in almost all of the fights, you know. I'm happy that I really had a chance to fight Valerie Latourne for, for five rounds with a very good striker. Last fight with Claudia Gadea, five rounds, good grappler, good wrestler. You know, I showed to everyone that I, ha I can handle all of them, you know. So that's all, you know, and I don't think that uh, uh, I, I really want to fight in New York and I think I will put on great performance, great fight, and I will win uh, one more time this year. Well, I'll tell you, Joanna. First of all, I was there first row, and let me tell you what a, what an amazing fight. I mean, sometimes it's even better and it's more impressive than getting uh, that quick knockout or quick stoppage when you have to deal with a little adversity. And when when she was getting those takedowns early, she looks very strong, and and it was it looked frustrating, but yet you never let yourself. Uh, looked, looked, looked up. You never looked upset. You always looked like you were any bit of space, any opening. You throw in an elbow. You were fighting your way back up. And usually that exhausts people. That gets people dead tired. But she ended up like getting tired first. And by that third round, what a turn of the tide! What a turn yeah, of the tide! Like, man. That's the thing. Like people think that we just want to go and win. Of course, I, we all want to win, but it's not about the winning or losing the fight, you know. It's all about fighting, you know, about pre preparing for the fight, about about our lifestyle, you know, like, because, like, uh, you know, I don't know, it's all about, about competi competition, you know. It's all about competition, you know. You, after your fight with uh, Claudia, you, you seem to want to, you guys had some differences, and you kind of seem ready to put some of that uh, animosity down and put it aside. But she seemed like a little less willing to do that. Um, do you have thoughts on why she might have taken that angle when you seemed like you wanted to bury the hatchet? No, no. I, she said after the fight that, that she uh, didn't uh, lose to me. She lost to the condition. Come on. If you're a challenger, you must step into the octagon and do two more, two times more than the champion, you know. She was trying to do this for two rounds. But then it, it was all over, you know. And I felt like uh, take your time, Joanna, take your time. She's getting more and more uh, weak. Take your time. And this is what I did from the third round, you know. So I don't know what to say. I'm very happy, excited. <laughs> Do you feel like she she felt that you were disrespectful to her? Do you feel like that? Or do you feel like she just wants the rivalry to continue? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what was in her mind, you know. Like, there were lots of, like, uh, uh, bad blood, uh, between me and Kavya Gadea, but like I said, when I when I uh, before the fight, I closed everything. You know, like I went into the octagon uh, with a very like clean head. You know what I mean? With a strong mind, without emotions. She was just my opponent. You know, that's all. And do you have anybody in particular who you would want to fight if you fight in the Garden at uh, two o five in November? Everyone. All of them. I'm ready for everyone. <laughs> you, you'll take. What's amazing to watch about you 
is that you see your cardio, you, you, your striking seems to get more accurate as the fight continues. And your, and your cardio is, I, I would have to say it's the best. I thought Frankie Edgar had the best cardio, but I don't think anybody keeps up the pace you do for five rounds. It, it's, it's an amazing thing to so watch much. how you are in the third and the fourth and in the fifth round. And you really, really begin to destroy people because by then they have some kind of a, of, of a gas and you don't seem to lose any steam at all. Yeah. Well, she's right. I didn't really ask a question. I just made a dumb, boring yeah. statement, and she kind of just acknowledged it. You're right. I should shut my fat face. No. So what do you what do you what do you do for cardio? Do you just run? Or you must do something else. No, uh, it's something else. I I put on work. You know, like uh, you know, I remember when I was 18. You know, and my older uh, teammates were like, "Yeah, you, you will get older." You will be more lazy. You're not gonna train that that hard. You're not gonna lose weight that uh, lost weight that easy. This and that, and I was like, "What the bullshit!" You know, <laughs> every year I'm better and better. Every camp I'm better and better. You know, like when I say that I put on work, so it means that I really put on work. You know, like I really, I'm really strict to myself. You know, so uh, I'm demanding myself. Is it correct or not? Uh, you're demanding of yourself, yeah. Of myself, yes. So this is who I am, you know. Like we do lots of uh, lots of strength conditioning training, like two months before the fight for four weeks, you know. So uh, then I I run a lot in the in the forest, you know, hills, everything, you know. Like I put on great great work. The food is very important. I changed my uh, nutritionist. I'm working with the perfect athletes with Michelle and Pauline. They they did those girls. Those ladies did great job, amazing job. I felt different this camp. My weight cut was very easy, you know, and uh, everything was just perfect. Now, did you actually go to 200 or did you, did you watch it? Um, and I was wondering if you had yes. any thoughts on Misha's loss to uh, Amanda Nunes. <clears throat> I, I was there, I was there. Uh, I was very happy that I could uh, meet uh, Justin Timberlake and Conor McGregor uh, on the end, at the end of the show. Uh, but the thing is like, uh, I respect everyone, you know, uh, but uh, there's the only one, Ronda Rousey for me, you know, I'm waiting for this girl, you know, she must she must be back and show to all of uh, the people, all of the Bantam uh, female fighters that who, who is the best, you know, and she will be back. And I like Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm the most. Uh, those girls are amazing. But like I said, I'm waiting for Ronda Rousey. It's her, it's her place, you know, to be a champion. Now, let me ask you, you said you met Connor. Had you never met Connor before? Was that your first time meeting him? Yes, I met him before, but, uh, you know, he's a very busy person, always too many people around him. But I'm not this this kind of person who is, like, going and trying to be around some, you know, very famous, popular people just to, you know, show up, you know. So I always, like, uh, like to uh, say hello and that's all, you know. Well, you seem to the he, champion. He was at your fight, and um, it looked to yes, me like he was really pulling for you, and he was yelling to you, like to do certain things. Like, so I'm, I'm thinking, like yeah. Connor and her must be friends, but he obviously really likes you. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was amazing. I saw him. I saw like I, I like to. I do this for my people. You know, I do this for my fans. I do this for my country, for my religion, for myself. You know, but when I saw like uh, my sister sitting in the first row because my brother's-in-law uh, was with me in the corner because it was his birthday, so he had amazing gift. 
Joanna, what did you say to uh, Timberlake when you? What did you say to Justin Timberlake when you met him? <laughs> My love. <laughs> That's not what I said. Oh, you, My were, love. <laughs> you were just kind of nervous. Were you like a big fan? No, a little bit. No, a little bit. I just said that I don't do this so often, but <clears throat> I, I I like him so much. It was really big dream. It was my dream to meet Justin Timberlake. He was in Poland uh, two years ago, probably, <clears throat> and it was in August, my birthday. But I didn't go to the to the concert, to the venue, you know. And I was like, ah, mad at myself, you know. But finally, I met him, and I hope that one day he's gonna sing for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I took a photo with him too, and uh, I really, for, for you, I'm sure he was happy with me. He didn't look too thrilled because <laughs> my camera wasn't working, so I had to have my arm around him longer. He just got really irritated with me. <laughs> <laughs> like you're a little creep. That's good. <laughs> yeah, That's a good show. I think I creeped him out just a little bit. So if you don't, so you're you're still in Vegas and you're going to go to Chicago for a while. Are you going there for the next fight? Yes, 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 yes. So <clears throat> I fly home uh, for 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 three four days, and then yeah, <clears throat> I'll be back to Vegas next week. Is that two hundred one in uh, two, Chicago? Two U.S. I'm uh, sorry. Is it, which which fight is in Chicago? Is that CM Punk? Chicago oh, Holly and okay. uh, Holly Holm, but uh, there is a big Polish community as well. It's the second biggest city in the world, you know, Chicago, with the Polish people. You want also, and then Chicago. You want how long is your training camp? How long is a typical training camp? Like this you know, last this one. This camp was pretty pretty long. I've been training three months. You know, you know that my hand was broken after the fight with Valerie, so I was not able to hit uh, for ten weeks. So, but I, I start training uh, like on the end of uh, December, but it was uh, like cardio. I hit meat just with my right hand, uh, with left hand uh, and other stuff. So uh, then we've been shooting the ultimate fighter for two months, but I've been training with uh, my coaches at Robert Reiser gym uh, because it was, uh, every, it was in Vegas. But after that, I was back, uh, back to Poland and I've been preparing more than three months for this fight. You know, it was crazy. Lots of tears, blood, sweat, lots of bad moments, 
But I was like, just survive, girl, just survive. It, 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 it's like, it, it, it's worth it, yeah? So I, this is what I did. When did you break your hand in the fight with uh, Letourneau? What Do you know what round it was? Uh, I don't know. It was third or fourth, fourth round, probably. Fourth round. Same with Jessica Penner. Oh, so you broke it twice? Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. The same hand? Yeah, the same hand. Uh, first was thumb, and then was like fifth finger. Wow, you fighters are really amazing. I'm not a fighter. I'm just amazed how anybody fights through that. Like, I would look for any excuse to not have to go through with it. And you guys just, <laughs> just amazing. And you're really fun to watch, um, you know, and, and I think you're going to be a, a, a bigger and bigger star in the UFC if you keep uh, fighting because everyone who watches you, even people who aren't as familiar with fighting, love watching you because you just don't stop attacking. I mean, even when you're ahead four rounds to none, the fifth round, your goal still seems to be to kick somebody through the cage. This is how we do it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. Uh, thank you, guys. We're tremendous fans of you, and we're happy that you won, and we really, really thank look you. forward to thank seeing you, so you fight again. Thank I hope you, you're guys. on the New York card, okay? Yes, I will. I will. All right. I the, will. the great Joanna uh, you Yunjechik. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. I'll tell you, she's really nice. I'll tell you, she's nice, and she is. She's so nice, and in that cage, she's so nasty, and I mean that in such a, I mean that in, 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 like in the biggest uh, compliment. She's uh, a killer, dude. She's yeah, a she's, fucking killer. She's a killer, man. She's a killer, and uh, that was a real treat. That was one of my favorite fights of all. We went to three fight cards yeah. in three days, and that was one of my favorite because it was such an amazing fight. And like I said, it's even better sometimes when they have to fight back from like maybe losing a round or two. Like sure. those first two rounds were tough for her. And uh, she just kept fo stayed focused and just unleashed fury. So. Rounds three, four, five. And if you see the Letourneau fight, it, it is amazing how her foot, she found Letourneau's face, her neck. Like she is just, she's an absolutely vicious fighter. And, and the fact that uh, uh, Gadala uh, had her in the first couple of rounds and was really making her life miserable on the ground. And then rounds three, four, and five, she's she just picked her apart. The second uh, Claudia took the, gas, the the foot off the gas a tiny bit, it was it was <laughs> all Joanna. She was all over her man, and just and just didn't and then just didn't stop. And she it's like she picked up steam by the th like it, not only did she keep that pace going by the fifth round, she was just stronger than ever. It's very impressive. Is cardio like that? Like again, I talk a lot about Frankie because the, of, of the pace that he keeps when he fights. Somebody who can continue to attack that way for five rounds. Yes. And I, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a nonstop fucking movement. And, and that's a weapon in itself is the endurance. The car. I mean, when they, when Claudia is saying she didn't lose to her, she lost to conditioning. That, that doesn't really make sense because conditioning is a huge part of it. When I was fighting, I was never afraid of getting hurt. I was always afraid of getting tired, though. Yeah, you've so, said that to me, that yeah, getting tired to you is it's scary. it's true. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the reasons I... People probably get tired. Again, I work out on a minimal level. I know people look at me and they go, like, Jim, you probably should fight. You're in that kind of shape. But I'm really not. You know, and the problem... If you're going to the gym, obviously you are, but if you're going without a pre-workout supplement, I mean... What's the matter with you? It's not going to be as effective. Fuck no. Try beats. Yes! Oh, but you know what? I, I might as well do the beat read. This was just natural no. chatter. What the heck? I'll what do it. What the hell? We're going to talk beats. I mean, beat elite. You know, I was talking to this girl recently, and she yes. said, Jim, how do you do it? And I said, honey, beets are a nutrition goldmine. <laughs> she said, really? I said, yes. They're rich in antioxidants, polyphenols, electrolytes. And then she said, what about dietary nitrates? And I said, yes, dietary nitrates. It's funny you should say that. 
And then we kissed and we laughed. And she said, you know, nitrates convert to nitric oxide in the body, which as anyone who is serious in the weight room knows. And then I jumped in and said, it's the key to getting the pump you're looking for. We laughed and we hugged. And then she said, have you tried Beetle And I said, honey, Beetle can help support healthy circulation, help promote energy, stamina, and... And then she said, extended exercise endurance. And we high-fived. Beetroot juice has been causing waves lately in the fitness community. Matt and I were saying this, we're rubbing each other's shoulders, laughing. Clinical studies have shown that two glasses of beetroot juice a day, they can increase stamina up to 16%. Now you can harness the power of beets without having to chug beetroot all day long. I said to this girl, would you chug beetroot? And she said, yeah, but not all day long. And I said, of course. That's what I was saying. Go to ufcbeats.com. They have a page set up for our listeners to save $20 off their intro pack, one canister of the Beat Elite, plus a box of the sports packs, plus free shipping on your order. Try it with your workout, and if you don't feel a difference the first time, they offer a 90-day money-back guarantee. I think you're going to be pretty surprised. You visit UFCBeats.com to check it out, and be sure to let us know what we think we do want to know. That's UFCBeats.com. UFCBeats.com. And we thank these guys. They've been supporting the program since the beginning, and the feedback on them has been really, really amazing. And there's a 90-day money-back guarantee. There's no way a product sucks when they're giving you a 90-day money-back guarantee because they're saying, look, we're going to guarantee you feel something or you're getting your money back. Be it elite. But uh, I think today has been a fun episode. We appreciate you guys listening. Um, what a good time. It it's certainly has been. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having fun. And it was great to talk to uh, the champs, two champs, not just one champ. Eddie Alvarez and Ioanni uh, and Jacek, thank you. They're both wow. people that I've been dying to get on, and uh, both both great fighters. Eddie, just a brand new champion, beating Rafael dos Anjos, and of course, Ioanni uh, remaining the champion. Well, let me tell you, I could, I could hardly wait till next week, because this is so much fun. Yeah, it really is, man. I, I love doing this. And uh, we thank you guys for tuning in. And again, if you want to see my, my dog and pony show on the road, jimnorton.com for dates. Oh. I have Columbus, Ohio coming up. I have Toronto coming up, and I also love have, Toronto. I do too, man. I love Toronto, man. Um, and uh, there's a girl I've been dying to fuck in Toronto. Oh god, and I have zero shot. Nice. I don't know, man. Does she? Does she hear about your latest? Uh, does she hear about you on uh, UFC Unfiltered? No, this but might she's win Googled over. me. Yeah. By the way, go, there's nothing worse. And I also have dates in Pittsburgh and Minneapolis. If you're interested, if you're not, I'll yeah. go fuck myself. I get it. There's no, nothing worse than when a girl goes, "Hi, Jim. I Googled you." That's Did you really? What's what's right? Fucking Larry Hitler has better Google results really? than Jim Norton. They're terrible, Man. my Google results. If I was terrible. single, if I was single and I was out there, I'd be like, "Yo, YouTube me, lady." Oh, I thought you were going to say I'd fuck you. No, no, <laughs> was it going? I was like, "Thanks, Matt." That's a confidence builder. Ah, it's fucking disturbing. But uh, hey, and also, I got nothing to plug except the latest episode that I'm very proud of, a Dana White looking for a fight and you see me uh try that stand-up comedy me dean thomas and dana and what a good time we had out there we found a, a very good fighter and uh what, what a good time yes we'll uh, see you in a few days and uh thank you guys thank you jimmy yeah bye this has been a digital media production find your voice bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.